Good morning, saints. Good morning. It's good to be together with the people of God to worship the Lord and uh, to hear from Him today. I pray that indeed is what He will do, is speak very powerfully to us. We are, if you'll join with me in 1 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to read through uh, the first seven verses here, and then... um, That will help us to set the stage for where we're going uh, in continuation with this series that we've called The Marks of Spiritual Maturity. And uh, Brother Malcolm spoke two weeks ago. If you missed that and were here last week, you're thinking, what series? Uh, We did have Keith Kaiser with us last week with a look at uh, the Gospel of Matthew and uh, the way that the Lord was working there in that stage of his earthly ministry. But we began two weeks ago taking a look and... Uh, this is one of the two primary passages in the New Testament, 1 Timothy chapter 3, of the marks of spiritual maturity. We'll read together, first of all, the first seven verses, 1 Timothy 3. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, or you could say the oversight, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house... How will he take care of the church of God? And not a novice, lest he be puffed up with pride, lest, being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. And if you'll turn with me, you might want to keep your finger there in 1 Timothy 3, but just a few pages to the right, after 2 Timothy, we go to Titus And we find a similar list, not exactly the same, but a corresponding list, we'll call it. As Paul wrote to Titus, a similar list here, and we'll begin in verse 5. Titus 1, verse 5. For this reason, Paul says to Titus, I left you in Crete that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children not accused of dissipation or insubordination, for if a bishop for a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. And we'll stop right there at verse 9. Well, Father, as we have begun to look at your word, we've read just a few of these qualifications. And Lord, it's our desire that since you have prescribed them unto us, you have delineated these things as the must-haves for the leaders of your people because you desire to see these things worked into the lives of all of your people. And so we 
we recognize, Lord, we all fall short in many of these things. We desire to be pleasing to you. And so these, the aim of our hearts then is to grow, to become more like our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, as we begin to take a look again today at the idea of becoming more like Christ and the measuring stick to help us towards that end, Father, we just ask that you would prepare our hearts to receive what you would have to say. Help us by the power of your Holy Spirit to lay aside all the things that are not pertained to what you'd like to speak to us now, that, that we might leave them aside at least for a little while and pick them up again after this meeting is over and with your help to be able to be more uh, 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 equipped to deal with those things as we face the day-to-day things of our lives. We commit this time to you not only here, but also as this, the young people are in their Sunday school classes, Lord, that you'd empower each of your servants who are teaching to be able to be filled to overflowing with your Holy Spirit and speak, as it were, the oracles of God, to speak your truth, and that it would find a resting place, a home, in each heart who hears. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we said, marks of spiritual maturity, and they're seen in these qualifications for elders and deacons in Titus 1 and 1 Timothy 3. The reason I ask you to keep your finger in 1 Timothy 3 is because there's some interesting instruction here in 1 Timothy that Paul gives to Timothy. And both of these books are among the last few that Paul wrote. He was um, there for many years helping to advance the church of Jesus Christ, not only where it began in the nation of Israel and in Jerusalem, but now to take it to the Gentiles, to the whole known world. And towards the end of his life, He had been serving with Timothy and Titus and others who were co-laborers with him and understanding that his particular time here on earth was coming to an end, he was sure to write these letters to these men coming after him so that they could have the instruction they needed to continue the work of Christ. And so they are called the pastoral letters. It's the, the shepherding heart of Paul to his fellow servants as they take the baton from him and run with it from there. And one of the things that he is, is, is encouraged, well, he's charged these men with is to go back to the churches that were established with the specific intent to establish the elders in each local church. Those who would form the, the leadership there because they were, they were the front runners, really, right? They were the ones who were learning to, to follow Christ, to see their lives transformed, to become like him, and now... They were basically identifying those men so that they could, as Paul did in their lives, bring along those in their local churches with them. And the reason that we are focusing on these is because we understand, first of all, look, not everyone is going to be an elder, especially you ladies, right? It's it's specifically a, a role for the men of God. However, what we're seeing is that these are like a chart, you know, we in the home we do this, right? We put the little measuring chart on the wall, and every now and then we stick the young people up and put the little ruler on their head and mark it off because we can see our progress, right? Now, um, sleeping with the, the 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 chart on the wall doesn't make us grow, <laughs> right? There's there's certain things that have to happen, but when we take a look at the chart, we can see where we're measuring up to, right? And so that's really what this becomes for us is the measuring chart, so we can see where we're at. Um, Jason, if you'll uh, take us to the next one, right? So really it becomes the target that we all want to be shooting for. And since all believers should grow and mature in the Lord, these qualifications should be the goal of every believer, not just the elders 
and deacons. And to kind of highlight that right here in the text, if you'll, if you'll take a look here, starting in verse 14, right? He goes through the qualifications of the elders, and then after that, the deacons. Notice 1 Timothy 3, 14. He says, these things I write to you, Timothy, though I hope to come to you shortly, but if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. Timothy wasn't an elder. But Paul says, listen, I'm writing these things to you so you can see how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God. Now, sometimes people want to apply that to say, listen, this building is the house of God. So we'll have none of that loudness in here, none of that running around, not too much laughing. This is the house of God. And I understand what they mean, okay? We as the people of God gather here and it should be a place of decency and order that reflects the person of God. But this place is just brick and mortar. The church of God, the house of God is the, the household of God, the people. And so he says, I'm writing these things to you so that you know how you're to conduct yourself as a member of the household of God. And that's whether you're in this building or anywhere, right? Because the reality is, a lot of these things, by having a testimony before those who are not saved, that's, that's where we work, that's where we live, that's not in this building. So, it's a bigger picture than that. Yes, we should be embodying these things when we're together here, which then would mean, let's not be raucous and running into each other and careless, right? But this is just one aspect of the way and place we live our lives. So all believers should aspire to this, that should be our target. Uh, next slide. And that's basically what this says. Paul made it his aim, as expressed in Philippians chapter 3, and Lord willing, this evening, we're going to do a comparison uh, between some of the passages that Paul teaches as the process that the scriptures show us and how we arrive at these qualifications, right? Um, and so he says, I press toward that mark, for that goal, for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. His goal was to become like Christ, and there was a prize involved in this high calling of pursuing Christ. And um, we're going to talk more about that. And the next um, slide is a reminder that really all these qualifications can be seen fulfilled most perfectly in our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Which, if we remember, in Ephesians chapter 4, where Paul is giving instruction to the local church there, is reminding them that God has bestowed upon all believers a spiritual gift. In the exercise of those gifts, they have a purpose. And so one of the reasons we come together is so that we can use our spiritual gifts to encourage one another to become more like Christ. And he told them, part of that goal, says that these were for, this is Ephesians 4.12, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, until we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So do you see that? The spiritual gifts were given to build up one another so that we can continue doing the work of God, the ministry, he says, but also how long are we going to do that? What's our purpose? Until we all come to says the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to that perfect man, the measure of Christ himself, the fullness of Christ. So we, we want to look at the gospel records to see how Christ lived out these things. We want to look at the target, the, the chart for ourselves to say, these are the, the things that I should be looking for in my life as a believer as I grow so that I can see how close I am getting to 
the target, the fullness of that perfect man, the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, next slide. And, um, okay, we've already said that. So uh, the next one. Last week, or two weeks ago when we did this, we took a look at, I believe it was seven of these um, qualifications. And the interesting thing was, as uh, Brother Malcolm so carefully portrayed, is that these were not just the list for the elders, but for we as believers across the board, right? Except, okay, you could say, well, when it says a, a husband of one wife, oh, the ladies say, well, I can't be anybody's husband. But we get the idea there um, of the, the singleness of uh, our commitment to our one spouse that God has given to us. And we'll talk more about that, Lord willing, this evening. Um, but the ones we looked at last time, the shepherding of the flock, seen again that we're supposed to serve one another and able to teach and um, not soon angry, not quarrelsome and hospitable, being a good testimony to those outside the church. Uh, there's not quarrelsome and not greedy for money. Those were the ones that we've looked at already and we've seen, again, these are for all of us, not just a few. But for today, I'd like to take a look to begin with at what I believe is not only one in the list, but somewhat foundational for helping us achieve these others. And so if you come with me once again to Titus 1, 8, I'd like to read the verse and highlight our first quality today. And as we go through what this really means, my desire is that we would see that there is a process involved, meaning it's not just a one-time event. There, there's there's a, a group of things that together become parts of the necessary formula or process whereby the Lord builds not only holiness into our lives, but now these other characteristics also. And I really debated over the last several days about how to do this. Do I this morning simply look at the process and say, okay, now that we've established the target, here's the list. How do we reach that? What is the process by which we had tried to, we work towards attaining those things and, and, and reach that goal? and then maybe come back this evening and then take a look at a few more of the characteristics? Or do I take a look at a few more of those characteristics to establish them and then say, no, when you come back tonight, we'll take a look at the, at, at the process? And I went back and forth. Well, we, if we talk about the process, but that don't continue to put forth the standard, well then, we may not understand where the target really is. But if we talk about the target more today and half of you don't come back tonight and we talk about the process, it doesn't do you any good. So, Lord, what do I do? What do I do? And I went back and forth and back and forth. And then, as I was reading this verse, Titus 1.8, but, hus but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, and self-controlled. Right there, that little four-letter word couched amongst these other qualifications, holy. Holy. I find it interesting that it's not at the beginning of his list, but couched in this list of, of qualifiers along the way. Because as I was studying, not only for this message, but uh, at the beginning of the year, I was asked by another meeting to go through the priesthood of the believer, the New Testament believer. And I, I accepted the, the invitation thinking I had an idea what it was all about and realized as I started studying, you know, I've accepted a lot of verbiage in my life thinking, okay, yes, okay, I believe that, but never really having studied it out to be able to say, well, what does this really mean then for me as an individual? That this particular quality kept coming up. And um, 
And so I'd like to, to take a look today at just that, holiness. It is what God calls us to as believers. And we can see this. First Peter chapter 1 very specifically spells this out. First Peter chapter 1. Starting in verse 13 says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind and be sober and rest your hope fully on the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So he's telling you, have a, a, a serious mindset towards your life here. Thinking now, putting your hope on what is to come. It's so easy for us to get caught up in this world that we forget about what's coming at the revelation of Jesus Christ. But he says, verse 14, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy for I am holy. So this goes back to the Old Testament and he's reestablishing to the new. God says, you belong to him, you be holy. So this is for all of us. And we need to seek to attain to it. Well, how do we do that? <clears throat> what is holiness? Before I get into a definition, let me just go over a few misconceptions about holiness. Misconceptions, In other words, ideas that sometimes we pick up about what holiness is, but really is not what the Bible says holiness is. Number one, it's not becoming perfect. Okay? Yes, God is holy, and Jesus was perfect, and still is. But is God telling me, you've got to become perfect in this lifetime? Well, none of us have attained to that, have we? No. So that's not exactly what he means. The Bible tells us, yes, 1 John chapter 3, when we see him, we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. That's where we're going to, right? It's, it's, we're told in Romans chapter 8 that those whom he foreknew, he called. Those he called, he justified. That means he declared them righteous. And those he also glorified. In God's mind, even now, we're already glorified in his sight. He sees us as where we're going to be at being perfect. But we're not there yet. So when we're commanded to be holy, he's not saying you've got to somehow miraculously attain to this standard of perfection from now to the end of my life. Because you know what? That's going to discourage us. Satan's going to come along as the accuser of the brother and show us how many times we fail and we may just give up. So that's not what exactly what he's trying to say. He also doesn't mean what many people have done, and they call this asceticism. <clears throat> I don't even know if I can give you a good definition of that word so i'm not even going to try but basically this is a, a philosophy of mind from way in the early days even the bible days that said that all these philosophies and doctrines and things that are floating around in my head those things are good but my body because it's sinful is bad and so we need to get away from everything world in this world so that we can become we can let those things that are floating around in our minds take over and so we have people who would hide in monasteries and they would drop out of life because they didn't want to be sinning and so they basically were coming out of the world and you know what in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 when the church is being reprimanded for not upholding God's holiness he says I'm not talking about you in relation to the people of this world because in, in that for, he says otherwise you would have to go out of the world but God has put us in the world to be the salt and the light in the world so he says you stay in the world but don't be of it so we can't just retreat. Also, uh, there's many people who would say holiness means uh, uh, a life of self-denial, right? And 1 Timothy chapter 4 highlighted some of these things. He said, you know, false teachers are going to come 
And they're gonna be telling you, you've gotta not marry, you gotta stay away from certain foods, and then you'll be, you'll be able to live a, a holy and righteous life, right? And, but Paul said, no, no, no. That's not the life I'm calling you to. It's not the life God called you to, because what happens is, we become like Pharisees, which becomes the last misconception, is that we get legalistic. We create this little list of rules, because here's what I do, right? I say, don't do this, and don't do this, so I can live like God wants me to live. Well, Colossians 2 tells us why, if you've been set free from the law, the things of this world, are you going back to it? Because even though you've got these rules for yourself, do not taste, do not touch, do not do this, do not do that. He says, you can stop your body maybe from doing those things, but it's no cure for what's in my mind and in my heart. It doesn't clean those things. So what happens is if I try to be holy, like the, and the, Phar the Pharisees did this, when they started in the intertestamental times, they came back from captivity, said, we don't want to disobey God. So don't do this, don't do this. And they, their intents were good, but what happened? They couldn't live up to it. So they get into legalism and say, well, okay, the law says this, but if I do this, I haven't really broken that. And whew, Okay, so we redefine what's right so that we don't look so bad. And we're evaluating everything on what we can see on the outside and our hearts are still far away from God. And that's not holiness. It's not getting legalistic and setting down a bunch of rules for us to follow. It's not trying to make sure that I, no. All those things lead us down the wrong path. And yet God does call us to holiness. So then what is it? Basically, if you take a look at the word holy, holiness, and even the word sanctify, they all come from the same root word, hagios, hagiadzo, which means set apart. And this is where it, it really takes a turning point in my mind, right? God said in 1 Peter, you be holy for I am holy. Now see, what my mind usually goes to is God is pure. He's sinless. And so I aspire to be pure and sinless. But see, that's not what holy means. That's what pure means. It's what sinless means. Holy means set apart. So we've got all these characteristics of God in our Bible. He is love. He is truth. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He is pure and he is light, okay? Those things are true. But what the Bible says when he says he is holy, it means when you put God up against anything else, he is so far set apart from whatever you're trying to compare to him that he's in a class of his own. Let's talk about purity. The state of not being defiled by something is, well, we can maybe muster up some level of purity, but you put yourself up against God, he's way over there. Set apart. So far set apart that what we read in the scriptures in Isaiah chapter 6 and Revelation chapter 4 is, according to the Jewish mind, right? They, they, when they did their poetry, they didn't try to rhyme it. Their idea of emphasizing a point was repeated over and over again, right? And so uh, Psalm 1, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. He says the blessed man doesn't do anything that those other sinful people are doing. He just repeated it a lot of times to say it, right? And three times over was like the extreme to them. So when they look at God and they say, God is holy, he's set apart from us. They don't just say he's holy, they say he's holy, holy, holy is our God. So far to the extreme is he separate from us in every one of those characteristics. And so, he says, you, be holy. 
you be set apart to God in all those areas. Be holy. That takes on a whole different meaning. Somehow my setting apart, it's not just about rules. It's all-encompassing. It's who I am. That's what God has commanded. And how do we get there? There's two parts of holiness. This does get a little bit confusing, unless we understand this. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to call this positional holiness. That means where I am in my standing before God, my position in Christ, I am holy. Notice this. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul is just introducing this letter. And he says, this is to the church, verse 2, the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified, that is, set apart in Christ Jesus. That word sanctified is the same root word. It's the verb form of holy. Sanctify. To those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, there it is again, with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Now notice now, he says, I'm writing to the church which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus. If you're part of the church, he says, you've been sanctified in Christ Jesus. You've been set apart in him. Called saints. God calls us, well, maybe we're just talking about some of them, right? No, no, no. With all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. So all believers in Jesus Christ are saints, sanctified in Jesus. We've been set apart from the world, from the whole realm of the, uh, Colossians puts it that way, right? We've been translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved son. We've been separated from all that. And we're now we're set apart unto God and he calls us holy ones. Well, you say, well, listen, okay, all these sins that I did, the moment I put my trust in Jesus, I haven't done anything and yet he's calling me holy. It's not because I've become in my actions anything in the transformation of one second, but now I've been transferred out of my citizenship in the kingdom of darkness, set apart in the kingdom of Christ. I'm, 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 I'm sanctified, set apart, made holy, a saint, a holy one of God. So that's my position. When Christ looks at me, we already read Romans 8, 30, that said he's, he already sees us as glorified. And yet we're not there yet. We're still in our sinful bodies. We're not, we haven't been set free from the presence of sin. But as God views us in Christ, that's what we read in Ephesians 1. All right? <clears throat> Sorry, I'm establishing a very important point. I know I'm taking a little while, but did I just apologize for that? I don't mean to apologize. I'm sorry for being sorry. <clears throat> Ephesians 1.4 Just as he, Christ, chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. This is our position. If you're in Christ, he says you were chosen by him that you should be holy and without blame before him in love. This is our position. But now we have to live it out. So although that's where he's, he's chronicled in the books of God, in his mind, we're holy ones. But now he says, be holy. Now there's a command. 
And you say, well, wait, if I'm already holy, why do I have to be holy? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter, uh, I think it was, was it 7? Verse 1 says, therefore, having these promises, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness in the, of the flesh and, and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now comes the task before us. Positionally, God has said, you belong to Jesus Christ. You've been set apart from the world. Now, perfect holiness in yourself, cleansing yourself of all this filthiness that's in your life in the fear of God. Now he's giving us a command. This is where the real work begins. Looking at our personal lives and saying, hmm, where am I? Where do I stack up? I've, God's called me out of this world. He himself is holy, 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 holy. And we're to be like him. How do we do that? Thankfully, he's not left us to guess. Romans 12, 1 and 2 forms, in my mind, the most uh, 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 simple, succinct pattern for this quality in our Christian lives. I know it's a very famous, well-known, maybe well-spoken on passage, but I want to think of it in regards to our lives as being holy to God. Not just in our position, but our condition, our progress in our daily lives. Now see, Paul has spent 11 verses defining the gospel. How we came from being totally lost, helpless, Christ died for our sins. Through faith in him, we've been set free, transformed into this new kingdom. And now he says, chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Let me stop right there. <clears throat> in our desire to move towards this holiness in our lives, Again, there's two parts. The command here, the challenge rather, he says, in view of the mercies of God, present your bodies to God as a living sacrifice. The interesting thing to me is this. The word to present is what they call the aorist tense verb, which means it indicates an action that is complete, once for all done. And yet... Our daily lives for him, this perfecting holiness, as he tells us, is something that we need to continue to do. And we do. But here's what he's saying. You're a believer in Jesus Christ. And I don't know everyone here today, personally, enough to know if that, if that means you. And I would just remind you of this, that if you have not put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, understanding that you're a sinner, and there's no way for you to save yourself, because... You have fallen short of God's holiness and he cannot let that sin stain on your heart allow you into heaven unless it has been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ when you put your trust in him. If you've never done that, then nothing we're going to say here is going to be talking about you because you're still lost. You're in that kingdom of darkness on your way to an eternal hell separate from Christ forever and ever. There's nothing else you can do about it except turn to Christ. But if you've done that, brother and sister in Christ, he's saying to believers... I'm be begging you, pre present your bodies once and for all as a living sacrifice to God. You know, I was born again at about five or six years old, as far as, far as I can remember. But it wasn't until I was 17 years old 
January 21st, 1987. The man preaching the word of the God that day made it very clear that God expects us to come to a point, if you want to grow, to make this choice, to dedicate your life once and for all, not to be yours to control, but his. You know, it's voluntary. That's why it's, it's really not a command. He's, he's beseeching it. When, we, when it says that we were redeemed, there's different kinds of redeemed, but the words that, that talk about that. One just simply means a price was paid. One says you were redeemed out of the slave market kind of a concept, but the other one says you were bought out, but then the one who bought you released you. You're free. You're not a slave anymore. Not a slave of sin. You're not a slave of God. But he says present yourself to him and become his slave voluntarily. And this is where I think some of us are still dropping the ball. We've never taken the title deed of our life and said, no, no, it's not mine anymore, it's yours. Now, I don't know what that means 10 years from now. I don't know what that means next week. But it means, God, the love of Christ controls me. He gave his life for me. He gave his all for me. And so out of love for you, I just want to give my life back to you. You're my Lord, you're my King, and I'm yours. And unless we do that, here's what we do. We come up on a new situation, we say, hmm, am I going to do that or not? Okay, I'll do that. Well, you know, okay, I'm still working on this over here. But see, I see myself as still in the driver's seat. I haven't once and for all signed my life back to him and said, Lord, I know you bought me. You saved me. But now I'm yours. Once for all. Now I hear a lot of people say, well, I rededicated my life. I'm not imitating anyone in particular. I know we don't have a lot of Southern accents here. But, <clears throat> all right, the point is this. Yes, we fail. That's why it says, as a living sacrifice, right? The priests in the Old Testament, and this is where this came up in my studies of the New Testament believer. As priests, we are supposed to offer sacrifices to God. And you know, the high priest wore right across his, his turban, in stamped, engraved in gold, holiness to the Lord. He had to be separated unto God not stained by the world if he was going to enter into the presence of God. And, he's, and, and so we must be holy to God. And a, a priest offers sacrifices. And the sacrifices of the Old Testament were dead sacrifices. They slit the throat. They drained the blood. They put it up on the altar. It burned up. Done. But God says, no, you're going to offer yourself as a living sacrifice once and for all. Lay yourself there. Now, of course, sometimes I find myself sliding off. Not that I got to start all over in my Christian life and go back to rededicating. No, no, no. God takes that dedication. He says, okay, now I'm going to work with you. How many times I heard this illustration of the child who had the broken toy and they brought it to their dad and said, daddy, fix it, please. And, and, and the child's getting impatient because daddy hasn't fixed it yet. And finally the dad says, listen, you haven't let go, child. You want me to fix it, but you still got your own hands all over it and I can't do it. And so God's waiting for us to put our lives in his hands and say, okay, I'm yours. And you say you want me to be holy. Lead me in that path. And it says, when we do this, we present our bodies, our very selves to God as a living sacrifice. What does he call it? He calls it holy. I've now set myself apart to God. And it's acceptable to him. You know, that was one of the fears of the Old Testament. They tied a rope around the high priest just in case he wasn't holy when he got inside there and he was struck down dead. They could pull him back out because no one else was allowed to go in there either. 
Is he going to be acceptable to God? But God says, if you take your life and you offer it to him and say, God, you bought me. I'm voluntarily making this once for all decision. My life is yours. He accepts it. He calls you holy, set apart for him. I look back at my life and I, I had a desire to please God in my life. I remember at, at about 13, that's when I made the decision I wanted to be baptized and follow Christ. But you know what? I never had really laid myself on that altar till, till 17, January 1987. And when I look back, that's where the real growth of my life started. That's where I can begin to see those characteristics started forming in my life. And you look at your life and you say, well, phew, that's not me. Ooh, man. Let's go on to the next page. Let me just ask you this, Christian. Have you presented yourself to God as a living sacrifice once and for all? Your Lord, not me. If not, while you hear his voice, today is the day. Offer yourself to him. Right in the quietness of your heart, I just challenge you like I did that day. Say, Lord, I don't know what this means. I don't know whether you're going to ask me to go to Africa as a missionary. I don't know whether you're going to tell me just stay put where I am. Whether you're going to change my job. Whether you're going to change the man in the mirror. But I'm giving myself to you. All that I am, all that I have, your disposal. Change my life. And that's what God calls us to. And if you're not willing to do that, don't be surprised if you don't see these things in your life. Because you still got your hands on the reins of your life and you're not really giving him the control to do it. But if you're willing to do that, notice the pattern here, right? First of all, it's that dedication. Once for all, give your life to God as that living sacrifice. But verse two, do not be conformed to this world. There is a separating from the pattern of this world that needs to happen. Now he says, you need to let it happen. But notice, it says, be conformed. The one doing the action is not you. The, 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 the emphasis for that is coming from the outside. But you're going to be able to resist that because now the Lord is in control of your life. And what does he say beyond that? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There is a, a cooperation with the Spirit that happens as we're not conformed as we to the world, but then transformed in our minds to the character God's trying to develop in our lives. Now's where the ball's back in our court. We've given ourselves to God. He says, okay, now I'm in control. I'm the coach on the sidelines and I'm calling in the play and you need to run the play. But what happens when we do that? Notice, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove. That's not like a formula on paper like you do in geometry. No, this is the proof by the living it out of what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. That's why this morning I my, my main challenge to begin with is if you've never as a Christian dedicated your life to God once and for all, make him the, the, the Lord, the master, the one holding the reins. If you haven't done that, you're still just playing games with God. Give him your life. But if you've done that, he's got some great things in store. You remember what Paul said in Philippians 3, I press toward that goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. There is a real prize to be had in the becoming transformed to the person of Christ that we see in this list. 
It doesn't happen overnight. It's a, pr a process, a, a progression, as we little by little allow him to make those changes in our lives. And I had four Ds to help describe that process. And I understand that I'm not going to be able to get through all this this morning, which is why I knew I'd have to continue tonight. But that once-for-all dedication, if you're not ready to do that even yet, I would challenge you before tonight to offer yourself to God. And maybe if you're an unbeliever saying, listen, I, I, I really am missing out on all this, don't understand it, talk to someone today. The first step is that once-for-all dedication. The last three parts of this process, I'm going to tell you what they are. And... Um, we will continue discussing them this evening. Number one is, there's a daily discipline. A daily discipline of putting to death the deeds of the flesh. And we're going to talk about what that means, what that looks like. And then a dependence upon God, because he's the one that's got to do it. I can't manufacture these things, right? Otherwise, I'm just going back to that legalistic list and I can try to make my body do this or that, but my heart's still not changed. And so there's a dependence on him, an interaction that happens between me and him as I go through my, my daily tasks. And as I, as I turn to him, rely on him, depend on him, he, he, I allow him to do that work. And then there's a developing process. And um, we're going to take a look tonight at three passages. If you want to look ahead, Philippians 3 and Romans 12 here. And 2 Peter 1. Now, we just had a message from Tony Martin just like a month or so ago on 2 Peter 1. And I wrestled, how much do I go there? Because he had a whole message just on that. But as we line up those passages side by side, we get God's... I mean, it's, it's coming from Peter and it's coming from Paul in two different places. The same process. But you know that process, if, if you skip step one, that dedication, we're going to miss the boat again. Right? Give yourself to God. And if you have, then let's together reevaluate the progress we're making in this discipline, dependence, and continual development in our walk with Him so that He can make these qualities ours. And after we finish that process list, we're going to take a look at another one of the characteristics to see the standard God has set as we seek to be holy, set apart in all these areas of our lives. Let's pray. Lord, your word is a big book. You've given us pictures from the Old Testament priesthood. You've given us clear teaching in the New Testament. You've said, be holy. I am holy. And Lord, we... It's overwhelming for me to consider your holiness. Just to take one or two of your characteristics and, and to consider the nth degree to which you go in that one quality especially compared to us. And we just want to honor you and declare today, even what, the, what the, we see predicted in the future in the heavenly realm where the, 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 the four and twenty elders and the, the angels and the beings in heaven just continually cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. You are so much more than we could ever think or imagine. You have so much more in store for us than we can think or imagine. And yet, Lord, we just settle for so much less. Sometimes just because we're not willing to take our hands off our lives and let you bring it in. 
So, Father, today we just want to ask that you would help us. Help us to take our hands off of the reins and put them in yours. To see you as the Lord and Master and not us. And to follow your instruction. To submit to your correction. To make the changes necessary to, to follow you. Lord, there's a discipline there. There's, there's a, a, a daily commitment that, that's not easy for me. I know it's not easy for any of us. Your word says that the flesh sets itself against the spirit and the two war against each other so that on either hand, we're not doing what we want to do. The flesh wants to do one thing and when the spirit, we're listening to the spirit, the flesh is frustrated. And when we give in to the flesh, the, the spirit of God within us is frustrated. And so there's this constant war. But Lord, we know that you're leading us in the victory of Christ. Your desire is to conform us to his perfect image. And we thank you for giving us such a clear benchmark, measuring chart, to be able to look at and say, hmm, how am I doing? Lord, not to discourage us, but to drive us back to you, to be able to let you transform us by the renewing of our minds, to help prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And so, Lord, I pray that today would be a day of evaluation where we... Uh, crawl back up on that altar if we've slid off. For those of us who've never got on, Lord, that we would make this the day where we sign the, the title deed back over to you and say, I'm yours. Take my life. It's a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to you. We thank you so much for Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Lord and Savior, who gave himself for us. May his love for us bring in us a love in return that, as Paul said, that love controls us. So we no longer see ourselves as ours, but his. And so with this in mind, Lord, we close this meeting as we give it to you again in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.